0: You are listening to Ember Weekend. Uh, we're here today with Chris Thoburn. Hello. That's a that's a, a very very uh, timid hello. I feel like uh, I feel like well now I'm talking to like a foam sheet. We have like a separation. Well, here,
1: well, right? well, mostly I was just confused. I don't think I've heard my real name in so long. I, everyone <laughs> just says "Here's Runspired." Here, so.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. So uh, here's Runspired. Right, correction. Yeah, we'll we'll have a correction corner later, uh, but anyways, uh, welcome to another episode of Ember Weekend. Uh, I'm Jonathan
2: Jackson and I'm Chase McCarthy.
0: And uh, we are here with Chris. We're going to talk about some really
2: cool stuff. So let's uh, just dive right in. So uh, Chris, uh, what's what kind of things have you been working on? I know last time you talked, uh, we talked a bunch about like smoke and mirrors and uh, rendering performance and a bunch of crazy things you're into. So what, what, what are you doing right now?
1: So right now I uh, am working mostly on Ember data. Uh, I had a, a blog post about a year and a half ago, about how much I hated Ember Data, so I guess it's only right that I'm now saddled with attempting to fix what I feel is wrong with it. But uh, I uh, I joined LinkedIn about uh, three or four months ago, and they've very kindly let me kind of knock myself silly working on Ember Data. So that's what I've been up to.
2: That sounds great. Uh, so what what kind of um, what kind of complaints did you have about Ember Data, and what kind of things are you you know trying to fix right now?
1: Uh, my my main issue with Ember Data was I was building mobile and um, it just seems like the performance of it, it was way too heavy to to really work well on mobile. Uh, it very often would be the 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 biggest bottleneck showing up in any of my profiles. So more often than not, I would try to ditch it or I would look for something else, and then I would long for its sweet siren APIs and I would come back to it only to be disappointed again. Uh, and, and and so really, like, I would say most of it was just a little bit of ergonomic upgrades and a lot of performance work was what I wanted out of it.
2: So when you say performance, you talking about, like, uh, payload size of the library or are you talking about, like, how many requests it makes? Uh,
1: neither, actually. Uh, so I started noticing this about uh, two two, three years ago, but if I pushed 100 records into the store, I was just never going to get faster than about 100, 150 milliseconds to do that. Uh, this That's not including request time. This is after the request is finished, just the amount of time it took Ember data to process those records and deliver them to the UI. So you, you feel like rendering is a big bottleneck, but that's you know, that's the entirety, really, of your render budget and more, just blown away instantiating some objects. So. Uh, there's a lot you can do to optimize how you make requests. There's a lot you can do to uh, optimize the number of requests you send, but there's not a lot you can do to optimize how fast Ember Data actually creates objects and, and pushes them out. And so that's really where I've been focusing uh, these last few months on, on performance. Ember Data is is in that story of how fast can we create objects and push them to the UI.
0: So I had I had a a, a good time watching you uh, code and debug some stuff this afternoon. Um, could you walk through like some of the, like, the process you're taking to actually do the optimization?
1: Yeah. So basically uh, what I have is I've, I've set up a couple of scenarios where it's pretty easy to to test different kinds of payloads coming into Ember data. So I, I have everything from simple or one to a few hundred records of one type and no relationship are delivered as a payload to complex where it's a bunch of records of a type with uh, a belongs to and a has many that are side loaded along with that relationship to uh, a situation that I call heavy where the relationships also have relationships and those uh, relationships of the relationships are also side loaded so really just test different kinds of, of payloads and and what happens when you push these into the store uh, re- really uh it's it 's very difficult to benchmark and figure out where the bottlenecks are as the payloads get more complex because a lot of things that you might assume will be slow turn out to be lazy. So, oh, well, we don't create these objects until we need them in the UI. So you might have pushed in a relationship of a relationship, but if you weren't using that in your UI right away, that was essentially free or very low cost. Uh, so it becomes, a, it becomes a little bit of a, an exploration, if you will, trying to just discover how to even benchmark and what you should be benchmarking, where you should be looking. It's also very difficult because the more moving pieces you have, the greater the risk you have that when you think you had a win, you've actually just shifted the work you're doing somewhere else. So you might think, oh, I just sped up pushing records into the store by 15%. But then what you actually did was you made that process lazy. And you were looking, if you were just the benchmark just that area where you made it lazy, you might not notice that even though you made it lazy, you were immediately going ahead and doing that work the very next thing as part of that same cycle of work. So you didn't actually win. You just shifted. So you have to be very careful that uh, what you're actually benchmarking is a comprehensive enough benchmark that you, you pick up when on the, when that happens. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, I get, I get trolled on this uh, still uh, even with a fairly careful setup, I'm getting trolled on this and, Uh, I had one situation, uh, a PR that got merged uh, just the other day where uh, something that I know from experience would have been a performance win on any app I'd ever worked on, my benchmarks were just saying, this is barely a win at all. It's maybe a little bit of a nudge in the right direction, but not much. And this is something I expected to be a 50% win to a 2x win. So I was... Definitely not seeing what I wanted to see. So,
2: so how do you um how do you like do these benchmarks? Do so you automate this? Do you have kind of like a test framework or something you write and and say it has to be below this number of milliseconds?
1: So it's a combination of things. Uh, I've been working on a library. Uh, it's an open source library uh, specifically for the Ember community. Like It's it's way more generic than for the Ember community. So I shouldn't say specifically for the Ember community. But with the specific intention of the Ember community using it, uh, I've been working on this with uh, David Hamilton and Steph Penner at LinkedIn, uh, both people you'll recognize as having been around the Ember community a long time. And uh, it's called Heimdall. Uh it's, I think, the Norse god that guards the, the, the gateway or something like that. Uh, David would know much better than I. I think he named it. Uh, but uh, the TLDR is that this is a, an analytics library crafted for all sorts of situations, but specifically crafted for front-end UIs. So what we've implement, implemented right now is just a very robust, uh, very low-cost, you know, very performant, robust a set of uh, timers and counters. So if you need very high granularity in what's going on, you uh, instrument your your code with uh, some counters. If you're looking for like, some timers across larger processes, you instrument it with these timers. Right now, like we don't have much beyond that. But uh, the, the goal there is we want to in- integrate it with Chrome tracing. So Chrome tracing is not an API a lot of people know, but part of that is Chrome tracing is not very useful unless you really know how to use it. And even if you really know how to use it, it can be a little bit of a battle to get good information out of it. We feel that we could, through Heimdall, basically create events that seamlessly fit into Chrome tracing and kind of annotate and show you what it is you're looking at to help you look through that and get better information. I also feel that we could very likely integrate it with a flag for runtime that you could turn on and off selectively for... Uh basically using the console.time and console.time end APIs. I don't know if you've ever used that.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's like a, those are like the higher accuracy timers in, in JavaScript.
1: Well sort of. Uh specifically they're timers that integrate with uh Chrome's timeline tools. And so if you look into the timeline in Chrome, you'll see like this function call took X milliseconds and it's like a yellow bar. And then you'll see a a function call that came out of that as a bar below it and and whatnot. Well, when you use console.time with a a string, a unique string, and then console.time end with that same unique string, it'll create a block with that name in the timeline up in kind of a user-generated area of it. So you you can go and discover sections of the timeline uh, that are more meaningful to you. So if you were to say, do this for every component with the component's name, you would be able to say, oh, those are the components that are taking me a really long time specifically. just get that data f- for free. And this is what I mean by, uh, this is a library we really want to like help the Ember community out with. Uh, the, the intention here is that we'll instrument Glimmer with it. We'll instrument Ember with it. I've already instrumented Ember data with it. It'll be left in. That code base behind a flag. So in Ember Data, the way this works is that if you pass in a, a dash dash instrument flag to Ember Data, it leaves the instrumentation in, whether it's production build or a dev build, which means that since it's low enough cost, we can eventually ship some features that let uh, end users turn on this flag, saying, Oh, I know my app's having trouble. It's slow. I need to diagnose why dash dash instrument. Next thing you know, Chrome Tracing has great information for you. The timeline has annotations for you. Uh, you've got count data about what's going on. You say your app's slow. Ember Core says, "We don't. We want to know specifically why it's slow. Can you give us some count data? Because that'll let us know what's going on. Really should help us uh, catch performance bottlenecks easier and catch regressions faster."
0: So that's uh, that's interesting. Are, are you? Uh... Is there, is there like a, a plan to possibly make this API uh, maybe like a little higher for application developers? Because I'm thinking of like, this would be interesting to see on those time track, like like to actually track user uh, actions. So like I want to see how long it takes me from when I click this button to when a connection is, is made or something like that. And setting the instrumentation across that to see those bars in, in flame charts, like in user space, basically. Not just in... Necessarily like uh, the framework space, but kind of like more user action kind of thing.
1: The short answer is yes. The long answer is not directly. Uh, Basically, this is an open source library. But if we're really going to sell it as, hey, this is in Glimmer. This is in Ember. This is in Ember data. This is something that you can go and use. It means we're going to have to document it really well. And if we have to document it really well, it means that you want to go and instrument your own app with these things. You have all the documentation you need to do so. The library surface area itself is extremely small. Uh, I think it's uh, four methods, so really isn't very much to it.
0: So. That's uh, that sounds pretty uh, pretty alright to document, <laughs> as far as
2: documentations go. Yeah,
1: the, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and this this does seem like uh, I think I know where John's. Going with this, that it it, it seems like something that you would really want to be able to, uh, like maybe send metrics or something. Like, hey, this uh, like we're in a beta, so this is in the production build, um, but we want to see kind of how the performance is behaving. And I want to, every time there's a slow render of some specific thing, I want to get like a message that you know s- uh, sends out some metric, so I can see it later and like get a warning. Uh,
1: Absolutely. So. Uh, I mentioned this really in the in the UI library context, but I also at the beginning mentioned that this is a little bit more universal than that. You're already using Heimdall and you're using it every day if you're using Ember CLI. All the, the timing, the re, uh, regression timing, uh, count timing that uh, David and Steph have been doing to really measure Broccoli's performance and instrument Broccoli, figure out where are the slow trees, uh, what's going on here, how many file IOs, that's all done with Heimdall. So... Uh, it's not even just for our runtime; we're we're even using it there. Uh,
0: yeah. So I'm actually thinking, uh, as a as a complete side note, I'm pretty sure Heimdall is a character from Street Fighter. Is that true? It sounds right. I'm pretty sure it's that guy who has the long arms. Whatever. Anyways, yeah. It sounds like a really <laughs> cool. It sounds like a really cool um, piece of tech. I like that. Uh, like you guys are working so hard on getting this into places where it can impact. I, I saw you debugging a little earlier today, and I gotta tell you it looked like it could be very very useful there so um that's definitely interesting
1: so i i start with i start with heimdall uh the sanity check is going back to the timeline and digging in on the time crumbs timeline to really see like am i seeing what i think i'm seeing am i measuring what i think i'm measuring uh did i just shift something from point a to point b and i'm forgetting to measure it uh i discovered this the other day that we uh, we did all this perf work to make various aspects of ember data lazy because there were all these objects being allocated and things being set up that we felt really didn't need to be done right away and in the process we made one piece of it so lazy that it had dropped out of our benchmark entirely by accident because it just never executed anymore so it was like well i wonder how much this part of the system's costing because i just made a change that should have affected it dramatically. And I just, I'm not seeing the numbers move. Why am I not seeing these numbers move? And I go and I added a few more timers and I realized, well, these timers aren't even ever being hit. Well, why aren't they being hit? Wow, we are that lazy now that we, we don't even get to this when we're going through and pushing records into the store. Yeah, so. it's uh, no code is faster than no code, right? Yep, exactly. So that's uh, really, uh, it's been fun. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I hate committing to numbers, but I'm pretty confident in these numbers at this point. Uh, 211 beta for, for Ember data is about twice as fast as 210.
0: Wow, so. that's, that's huge. That's absolutely massive.
1: But what's really making me happy is uh, 212 canary, which this is a number I really don't want to be held to because we don't have a final number on it yet. But I feel pretty strongly that it's shaping up to be at least three times faster than 211. Uh, and it may turn out to be as much as five times faster as, to, as, as 211.
0: Do you, um, so I, I know you were mentioning like trying to keep your benchmarks robust. Are you also backing this up with um, like the beta builds? Are you getting feedback from people using Ember Data um, yet? Or is that uh, still something that is kind of forthwith?
1: Privately, yes. Uh, but also like at LinkedIn, one of the things that I did was I moved LinkedIn onto Ember Data Canary. So this has given uh, me a lot more confidence in the work that we're doing in Ember Data, because we're making a lot more changes at a much higher velocity than Ember Data has un- gone through in the past. And unlike Ember, I feel like nobody upgrades Ember Data to Canary. So I I know it's a little early in this episode, but uh, I'm gonna take a page out of Kitty Gingler's book, and uh, the name of this episode should be uh, Run Ember Data Canary.
2: Yeah, that's good.
0: That's uh, that's actually uh, completely amazing because now I don't have to come up with a title, which honestly, no joke, is literally the thing that takes the most time in releasing an episode.
2: Maybe not this episode.
1: If, if nobody runs Canary, we have no idea if it's working. So we have, like, and I, I really feel people just, they, they stay several versions back. I can't tell you how many apps are I'm seeing out there right now. Oh, we're just upgraded to, uh Ember 210 for the glimmer upgrade. Great. What version of Ember Data are you on? 25, mm-hmm. 2.6. Yep. Why are you so far behind? Uh now the contra the uh, the contra to that is I feel that some of the reason that people are so far behind is that very often Ember Data doesn't do something or doesn't enable something that somebody needs. So they monkey patch or they do something a little custom. Or, and maybe it's not even that dirty. Maybe it's just a little bit of private API abuse, but it makes them more uncomfortable upgrading because they're just not sure if it's going to break. I can totally see this. Um, it's something that I've
0: experienced. Uh, like you, you get you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, I got uh, Ember up to date, no problem. And then you try to bump Ember Data, and all of a sudden you're like, oh well, I just where where did the last six hours go? Um, I have to like fix all of this stuff that I was doing wrong. Basically. And it's almost always because you were like abusing some some different aspect, but uh, it can eat up at the time and, and that causes some some friction. So I definitely understand that.
1: And so here's the the subtitle for this episode is if you're using private ember data API, please open an issue.
2: Yeah, definitely. I um and, and just I mean, it seems like Ember Data also has so many more hooks to tie into, like when you think about the adapter and serializer, the places that are even public. Versus Ember, like the places to customize how Ember works.
1: For uh, for our listeners today, Chase does not know what I want to talk about at all. <laughs> uh, no. However, uh, so 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 this actually segues really well into my next point. Uh, so I'm I'm, I'm giving uh, a first pass at a talk on on Monday at uh, the Ember Data Meet or the Ember Meetup in uh, DC. It's actually going to be in Reston, Virginia. It's amazing because. Uh, the meetup is literally across the ho- uh, the street from the house I grew up in. So uh, I get to go hang out with my parents and help them out with some stuff and pop over and, and give a talk on uh, best practices in Ember data for now and in the future. Uh, so to Chase's point, there's this huge API surface area. I disagree. The surface area that's really large is indeed in the adapter and the serializer level. And especially in the serializer level. And I've had a few people approach me and go, hey, I, I noticed this is where I have the biggest performance issue in number data. Like, it just seems really slow. Is there anything I can do? Yes, there is. Ship JSON API, make your relationship names, camel case, and no-op the serializer. Walk into the serializer, take out that normalized response hook. It's the third argument. It's called payload and just return payload. And you will go from, even if you were shipping down a perfect JSON API payload before, let's say it was about seven records, you would have spent about 45 milliseconds in that hook, and now you're gonna spend zero. Hmm.
2: This is just to go from dashes to camel case.
1: This is because uh, this, this phrasing It's not exact but this comes from steph penner and uh he and i were talking about this and he said this and i was like yes that's exactly what i've been trying to articulate serializers are a temporary thing ember data provides you a very robust serializer out of the box with lots of hooks so that if any tiny thing in your api is misaligned you can go and very easily adjust that just that tiny piece with little friction. But it's really not meant for that. It's meant as you're getting up and running, you don't quite have your API figured out yet, or maybe you haven't been able to get your API quite aligned to what it needs to be yet. Well, we have a serializer that works for you out of the box. The default story is we're gonna support it. And then once you've got it figured out, no up-it. The serializer is there for the beginning. It's there for that alignment to beginning. It's there for helping you discover what needs to change. Because it can be very difficult to make lots of API changes. If instead you can make a few serializer tweaks up until you figure out what it is that you really need your API to be doing, it's a lot of a lot of win up front, but it's not the long term solution.
0: Yeah, it seems like 45 milliseconds is a is a long time to be spending on your on your hook like that's just normalization hook i mean that's probably for all, all of the hooks have their own costs associated with them right
1: it, well that's just uh, it's just for the normalization in the ser- in the serializer. uh and essentially the reason for that is it's going to iterate across every single key on every single object it's going to give you a chance to do something with that key and its value so it's going to call another method with it it's likely going to delete that key or mangle that key on its own and then copy it over to a new object. It's just the nature of what it has to do in order to provide you access to everything. But if you're sending back a perfect JSON API payload already, why bother? No up it. The other thing is, let's say that you can't get over the perfect JSON API. Well, that doesn't mean that you should stick with the default serializer. That means that you use the default serializer until you figure out what are the th- these pieces that I need to, to mutate? You know, What does my API look like? And then you build yourself a serialization or a normalization function that's special tailored for that case instead of, again, iterating over every property key, every value, and mutating and munching. So I think this is something we failed to teach but we should have taught, that the serializer API, this isn't some like permanent lasting thing. It's a, It's a solution, it's a very elegant solution, but it's a solution for temporary friction. The other place that we do see a lot of API growth is in adapters. But within adapters, where you mostly see it is in the build URL mix-in. The interesting thing about this is I think that that's the most valuable piece of the adapter to everyone. And I think that that's what leads to the most abuse or what I consider abuse of Ember Data's uh, find is, or create API. I often encounter a situation which I call an API action. And this is a situation where You don't really care about the model on the client side. You have some data structure and that data structure needs to be sent to your API to as an event, if you will, saying, hey, this happened with these attributes, but you don't care about the model. You're going to discard it immediately or ignore it immediately. This doesn't belong being done via store create record dot save, which is what I see a lot of people do. And it especially doesn't belong being done that way if the API is never going to return you an ID. So there is a nice pattern for this. The store has an adapter for method. Adapter for can work uh, even if you don't even have a model. So let's say you have an API actions adapter. You can do adapter for API actions. You don't need to have a model by that name. It's still going to go find that adapter. And on that adapter, add your methods, add your custom methods for these actions, for these events you want to broadcast. And utilize those bu- uh, URL building hooks. You have full access to everything that that adapter was going to do for you via create record save right there on that adapter. You can call it yourself. Uh, so dig through the documentation just a little bit and figure out what those which which hooks you actually want to, and go from there. That's a really cool pattern.
2: So, so what's the what's the invocation pattern for that? If you have something that is like a command or an action, you're trying to do like you know bulk create some records with these parameters or something, or, or do something. let's it's more of an action. How do, you, how do you use your data to trigger that?
1: So I, I really feel that uh, people should be adding their own service, not extending the store service, adding their own service for these sorts of actions that calls into the store service just basically provides a little bit of sugar over top of the store adapter for call the right URL building method for you. Uh, the nice thing about this is it's a little bit tedious in the sense that you're, you're going to trade a create record.save for about three different API calls but you're trading it for three public API calls. We're not abusing private API here. And at the end of the day, you're not introducing a memory link because using create record.save when you have no intention of ever utilizing that record just means that you left an object around in the store for the entire life cycle of your app that you don't care about. And the worst mistake you can make and something that I've seen happen a few times now is you implement your analytics tracking that way. So every little user action, every little scroll event, is getting saved and pushed into the store as a I permanent object. I can't imagine outlet.
0: that in a scroll event like that would just be immediately crashing your Chrome browser. Uh,
1: it's like crazy. Yes.
2: Right. Well, I've seen people track like even mouse mouse like hover over yeah. or mouse <laughs> moves. Yeah.
1: yeah so a uh, couple of things I want to mention quick on the ember data bandwagon and then i actually have some other stuff i want to talk about surprise uh so a few things that we've been working on uh i'd I'd say one of the bigger uh things that has momentum right now is aligning the internals of ember data more closely with json api theoretically on the surface it already was but it really wasn't so much internally and there's a lot of optimization that can happen if that happens and there's a lot of improved developer ergonomics that can happen if that happens. Like better access to links, better access to meta, um, interacting with entire JSON API docs instead of just uh, a subset of records, um, potentially some things around sorting and filtering uh, groups of records that came back from a query a little bit easier. And as part of that, we've been kind of working through adding better assertions. So if you're on Ember Data 2.9, and you're about to update to the latest stable, which is 2.10, I apologize. Uh, I've seen a lot of people have trouble with this upgrade. It is my fault. Uh, and well, I'll say is it's my fault for pointing out that your apps had bugs because you're going to hit a set of assertions, and they're mostly null ID assertions. And the null ID assertions catch a number of corner cases that we didn't catch before that were memory leaks, or were buggy, broken behavior that nobody was catching. So if you are depending on this, you are going to be in for a little bit of a, a rough upgrade from 2.9 to 2.10. There are some pretty easy patterns to fix this. So ping me in the Ember data uh, channel in the Slack and I'll, I'll help you out. Uh, it's not terribly difficult. The one situation that's a little bit hard uh, hard to deal with is you created a, a model client side and you saved it and you didn't get an ID back. In the past, Ember data kind of silently kept chugging along. That's actually a problem because since we don't have an ID, we have no way of putting this into the identity map. So it goes into the identity map as the null key and everything that goes in just kind of overwrites itself there. And they, But it, they're not truly fully overriding each other. They're also kind of like hanging around in another portion of the identity map, and so you can never quite get rid of them. So suddenly you're growing the number of records you have. And let's say that you uh, you saved this record and you didn't get the ID back from the service, but let's say you have a, a query that you sent off or a WebSocket service that brings in new records and that also delivered that record. And when that delivered, it actually did have the ID. Well, we can't merge these things together because we don't know that they go together. We don't have the ID. So now you've got two copies. You might get a little confused there. Uh, worst case, you just have extra things hanging around. So these these assertions, they're there to help you. They're there to catch things that were bugs before that just went by silently. It, your app was always broken. It was never working. It just, you thought it worked. Uh, but I do apologize for the pain that you will feel.
2: Yeah, I, I could see where um, if you were just doing one save or something. And with, with an all ID that would appear to work fine. If all you're doing is presenting the data and not making any changes after, or maybe navigate it out to some other route um, where it then fully fetched the thing. Um, And, and, you know, it would be kind of hidden and and only expose itself very subtly, you know, (laughs) every now and then.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Ember data. All right. Well, uh,
2: so that was, that's all the time we have uh, for now with Chris but we're going to be be releasing this episode in two parts. So, uh, you know, you've, oh, well, by now you've heard both parts.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we're going to put this ending at both, at the end of both of them. So you really need to talk to two different Man. audiences. All right. Just, I mean, yeah. Like so, what, oh, whoa, spoilers. Oh, no, um, no, was, no spoilers. Westworld um, uh,
2: stay tuned next week for the conclusion of this episode with Chris. <laughs>
0: And I guess also the conclusion of this episode with Chris. Anyways, thanks, Chris, for coming out. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Actually, we're co-located. We didn't mention at the onset of the episode, but we're co-located right now. So he actually is visiting our Jacksonville beach area, um, which is super cool. And uh, I think we're going to go get a drink after this. So...
1: So if you're in Jacksonville Beach and hearing this from the future, come back in time and meet come, us at the bar.
0: Meet us at the meet bar. At the bar. Uh, anyways, you're already late. <laughs> you're already late. Uh, so we're, once again, we're Ember Weekend. Um, you can follow us at EmberWeekend.com. Um, or on Twitter at Ember Weekend, all one word, uh, and we have a feed at FeedXML, which isn't an iTunes. It's a whole long story. Um, but uh, once again, Chris, thank you so much for uh, for being a part of the show. And uh, as uh, you know, again, it's been great to have you for the second time. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll do this in the future a- a- again. Sounds good. See everyone, see everyone next week. What do we say?
2: Uh, well, no. So we used to say, we'll "See you next weekend." We we'll never see them. Next. So I've been saying um, we'll talk at you next week. That's terrible. without you being here. Terrible.
0: And we'll see you next weekend. Uh,
2: I'm gonna keep I mean, all of that I mean well thanks so-
1: thanks for having me. But uh I, I think this is just gonna become a yearly ritual. So maybe see see me next year. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. You, all right. You saw me last year, I just run a, a marathon in Death Valley. Yeah. You're seeing me this year and I just ran that same marathon in Death Valley again. So nice
0: nice yeah. yeah well we'll see you uh, we'll see you next year then right after Hopefully you'll make it through the marathon again. i will make
1: it through the marathon again next year <laughs> so you will see me next year